Father, we thank you so much for your incredible, wonderful plan that you chose to send your son Jesus to take on human flesh, to live the perfect life, to die for our sins. And he willingly came and did your will and brought about the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to you. We thank you. And Father, as we look in your word, I pray that you would be greatly exalted, that Christ would be magnified, and that we would leave uh, with a better understanding of what you have done for us through your son, Jesus. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. Well, you may or may not have uh, noticed it, but uh, in the last 10 or so years, uh, the TV is full of more ads for people who are depressed people with their little frowny faces, you know, walking around those commercials and just take these pills and you'll be happy again and everyone around you will be happy. Uh, the reality is there's a lot of people who are depressed. There's a lot of people actually who do not know the Lord. Uh, it doesn't mean that we as believers can't become discouraged, can't become uh, whatever it might be, but uh, a lot of people don't know the Lord. And uh, we know that those who don't know the Lord are without God in the world. He is not with them. He is not with them. And if you try to live this life on your own, uh, just in this life alone, it's going to be disastrous, uh, let alone eternally, uh, apart from the forgiveness that comes in Jesus. But we as believers can also sometimes get uh, hit by things that cause us to, uh, in a sense, maybe forget uh, that the Lord is with us, that he's a good God, and he he will never leave us nor forsake us that he is our God and we are his people. We can tend to come into those circumstances and difficulties, whatever it might be, and and almost feel alone. Well, the reality is we should not do so because we have a great God who is with us. And we're going to see that today. We're going to see and look at the account of the birth of Jesus Christ. We're going to be reminded of it. And, you know, I, I as I study each year, as we go through and look at these passages before Christmas, I'm just amazed again and again at what God has done for us. And so we want to remember and focus on the truth of God so that as we go through this season, we don't forget uh, the God of the truth. So with that in mind, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 18 to 25, and we're going to look at the account of the birth of Jesus Christ. Now I just want to give you some context for the book of Matthew Although Matthew is not named specifically in this book, it has been accepted clearly uh, that he is the author. It's clearly evident. Uh, Matthew, or Levi, which was his formal name, was a tax collector. He's a sinner called to repentance by our Lord Jesus. We see this in Matthew 9 and Luke 5, that he is called and he follows the Lord Jesus. Matthew follows him. Now, within that, we see the Gospel of Matthew is certainly very Jewish in a sense. It contains a myriad of Old Testament quotes, and it appears to serve as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament, as we'll say. And it certainly it is the most Jewish of the Gospels. And here we see that this book is about Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews who came to bring salvation uh, to the world. It is the presentation of King Jesus as the King, and with that there is the teaching concerning His kingdom, his kingdom, and thus we see that. But also Matthew is about his rejection 
those who should have uh, his own, who should have accepted him as king, who should have uh, uh, turned and followed him and believed in him. They rejected him. It's about the rejection and opposition of the king of the Jews. Uh, this rejection culminating in crucifixion, uh, God's plan uh, bringing forth salvation through Jesus Christ who died for our sins on the cross. Matthew is about Jesus Christ. We also see in chapter 1 that it is about Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see, Jesus Christ fulfills the Davidic covenant that in his line a king will rule on the throne forever. He also fulfills the Abrahamic covenant that through his seed all the nations would be blessed. We would have salvation blessing through Jesus Christ. And then we saw the genealogy in the beginning of Matthew of Joseph's side. This proves that Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne of David. And we're going to see that he is the king of the Jews. And as we'll see today, he is the Lord who saves. He is the Lord who saves. So turn with me and we're going to see the Christmas story revealed in the book of Matthew with the outcome, the result, God with us. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now we begin, we look at uh, the situation concerning the birth. We have it here. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. So we have here, right in verse 18, we have the passage is about the birth of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Matthew, inspired by the Spirit, is telling us this is what this passage is about. The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Now we'll look at this later on, but Jesus, that is the Lord's human name. We're going to see this later in our passage, is the name that Joseph would give in obedience to the angel's command. It is Jesus, and the term Jesus, or Yeshua, literally means the Lord, the I Am, is salvation. Is salvation. Uh, the Lord saves. That's what Jesus means. The Lord saves. The great I Am is the Savior. The Lord saves. And the term Christ is a title. It's the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew term Messiah, which meant anointed one. And the anointed one was the one who would be the anointed one, the king of the Jews, who would reign forever and ever. We see that. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. And so then, this is about the birth of Jesus Christ. And it's, here it is, was as follows. Now, earlier, what leads up to this passage here, we have Jesus' genealogy in which we see that he was Mary's physical offspring. We know that, not Joseph's, although he was legally Joseph's offspring. If you look back in verse 16, and to Jacob was born Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus, by whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. We see here uh, that this is... Uh, the Lord Jesus, he is the Christ. He is, uh, he is born from Mary, but he is legally in the line of Joseph. We see that. And so with that in mind, notice what happens here. We see that something is, something's happened. Something unknown to Joseph is made, he's made aware of. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. This is amazing. 
we're going to talk about this, but this is amazing. And we need to think about this. We need to think about this tremendous reality of what God did. He says here, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, when his mother, when his mother. We see that Jesus had a human mother. Mary was his mother. We see that when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be a child by the Holy Spirit. Now they had been betrothed. Now the betrothal period was somewhat like an engagement period, uh, but there was actually some differences in it. You see, in a Hebrew marriage, there were two stages. There was the betrothal period, then there was the, the wedding, the marriage. And so this betrothal period would be instigated by two families or two individuals, and it was considered a contract for marriage, so much so that you would need to be divorced. Uh, even before you'd come together, if you were betrothed, you would need to be divorced. It was a binding promise. And in this betrothal period, there was time to prove that the parties were faithful, that they were pure. Uh, there, was a, there was a testing time in a sense. Uh, usually it would be 12 months, could be shorter. Uh, it would be a period for protection for both the husband and the wife, where fidelity of the wife would be proven. Now we see this, and we looked at this partially in our passage in Second Corinthians, where the Apostle Paul, uh, he is concerned about the Corinthians, and he uses this illustration in Second Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I wish you'd bear me a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me, for I am jealous with you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, that is Christ, that I might present you as a pure virgin. That's the idea, the betrothal period. But Paul was concerned that their hearts had been pulled astray through Satan to the false teachers. So Paul is saying there, metaphorically, I arranged your marriage with Christ. I brought forth the truth about your salvation. But I'm concerned you're not a pure virgin, that Satan's led you, and you have committed spiritual adultery with these false apostles. That's really what's going on in in 2 Corinthians. So here we have this idea of protection, of protection, which makes it even more, heightens even more the difficulty initially in this passage because she is found to be with child during this time. It's actually quite important. And so we have this betrothal period. Then there would be, uh, at the end of that betrothal period, it would end gloriously at the wedding, where the husband arrives and the woman is presented as a beautiful virgin bride to her husband, and they are married, and then they consummate the marriage physically, and then there's the marriage feast afterwards. And so then uh, we have that they, were, that, uh, that they had entered into this binding agreement. They were betrothed. And it usually took place uh, during the late teen years, so most likely, we don't know for sure, but most likely Mary was a young woman. And we know from Scripture that she was a godly woman. She was a godly woman. Uh, Remember Mary's response to the angel Gabriel's declaration that she would become pregnant by the Holy Spirit, bringing in the Savior? Turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And we're going to look in this portion a couple of times, so after we read it, keep your finger there, because we're going to come back to it. Luke chapter 1, and this is Mary's response to uh, the angel saying that she's going to have um, a, a child by the Holy Spirit. This is Mary's response. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. Have you ever done that? Has your soul ever exalted, lifted up the Lord? And my spirit has rejoiced in what? In God, my Savior. 
Do not buy into the lies of the Catholic Church that Mary was not sinful. Mary was a sinner like you and I. Every human being apart from Jesus Christ has walked this earth, has sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so she rejoiced in God, her Savior. She needed a Savior just like you and I need a Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and, in, and, his, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in their thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent away the rich, rich empty-handed. He has given help to his, Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Mary knows the Lord. She's a godly uh, woman, and we see that she had kept herself a virgin. Well, what do we know about Joseph? Well, we know Joseph, uh, uh, obviously, he was chapter 1 in the line of David. We know from Scripture that he was a carpenter, uh, Matthew 13:55. We know that he and Mary were probably not that wealthy because they took Jesus. When they took him to the temple on the eighth day, they offered turtle doves, Luke 2:24, which, which meant they were probably not that wealthy. They, had, they were from Nazareth, which was certainly not a wealthy area in Israel. But what we do see in our passage is that he was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ, back in our passage, verse 18, was as follows. When Mary, his mother, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. Uh, we know Luke says that Joseph was engaged to a virgin. Uh, Mary was a virgin. They had not come together. And it makes it very, very clear. Turn again back to Luke. Turn again to Luke, because Mary makes this clear also. Now, in the, we'll look at uh, Isaiah later on, and the false uh, scholars, biblical scholars, the, the so-called biblical scholars will say, well, the word in Hebrew doesn't mean virgin, it can mean young woman, whatever that. Well, we know the word in Greek means virgin, and that's what it means, and it's very important to understand that. So here, uh, Luke one twenty six. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to, notice this, a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name, very important, making it a, a point here, was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. Isn't that amazing? The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what type, what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb. This is not just the virgin birth. It is the virgin conception, by the way. Don't forget that. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And I say amen, right? Amen. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Notice this again. Since I am a virgin. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for this reason, the Holy Offspring shall be called the Son of God. 
And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. It is absolutely crucial that we understand what God is saying here and that we believe it. Uh, Mary was a virgin. Her and Joseph had not come together yet. And it says here now in our passage, and this is the point of this verse, she was, end of verse 18, she was found to be with child. Found to be with child. Now, we just saw previously in the Gospel of Luke, Mary was informed previously that she would bear a son, that the child would be conceived in her womb, and it was by the Holy Spirit. But what about Joseph? What about Joseph? Did he know about this? We don't have any record of angels coming to him and saying, you know, before this point here, which we're going to see today, that uh, this is what's going to happen. Now, historically speaking, those who were betrothed together didn't spend every waking moment together like people are engaged these days, right? They, 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 they didn't. And we saw that when Mary uh, came and visited her, her cousin, Elizabeth, right? We see that Joseph was nowhere to be found at that point. He was... Uh, probably making chairs or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, we see here back in our passage, apparently Joseph, as we're going to see, had no knowledge, and she was found to be with child. She had the baby bump. And uh, it's, it's, it's what's going on here? What is happening here? What is happening here? He says that she was found to be with child, but notice this, by the Holy Spirit. It's so important that we see this. It wasn't any man that Mary was found to be a child with. It was by the Holy Spirit. And this is so important. Uh, we come to something glorious that is difficult for our heads to wrap around. Uh, but we need to take it by faith, what God has revealed, and believe it. She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And this passage is speaking of the conception of Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, taken on human flesh in the womb of a virgin by means of the Holy Spirit. And from this point, it is impossible. But with man, things are impossible. With God, all things are possible. And so we see this. We see it. And we are responsible to believe the truth that is declared. Now, the virgin conception and birth is a non-negotiable point of doctrine. It's, it's not up for grabs to say, oh, I think this happened, no, it didn't happen. God says it happens, and the implications are immense because if you deny this, as we'll see, you are denying the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to accept this. And I believe if you don't accept it, then you have a problem because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. You know, we don't need to talk non-believers into believing things. We need to share the gospel with them. And when they receive the Spirit, then they'll be able to understand the truth of God. And believers, they may have some differences, but they don't argue about it. They say, yeah, that's what the Bible says. I agree. I agree. And so she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. So back in our passage, it's very clear that Joseph, as we'll see, would be blindsided by this. He'll be blindsided. I don't know if you've ever been blindsided by anything. Something happens one day and all of a sudden your whole world is shaken up. It's, it's just hit you and like, what is going on? 
And so we're going to see how a godly man, how a righteous man responds. And we're going to learn lessons from this also, along with the truth pointing to Jesus Christ. But we're going to learn some lessons also that will help us in how we should respond when things happen that are, are, are blindsided, whatever it might be. Now here specifically, it was a glorious thing. But here, notice he was righteous. In verse 19, and Joseph, her husband, notice they're in the betrothal period, but he's considered her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. This is, gotta think about what he's going through, what he's thinking about. He's got his, 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 he's set up to be married, he's betrothed, and all of a sudden she's found to be with child during this testing period where you would test to see if someone's faithful or not. And so, he's a righteous man, and he has an agonizing decision. You know, and I believe he was also fearful about it, because later on, the angel will say, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Don't be afraid. I'm sure there's the the whole range of emotions that would come along uh, to someone who just found out about this concerning their their wife-to-be. She's found to be a child. And so he says here, being a righteous man, it was Joseph, considered her husband, and we have these two statements, being righteous and not wanting to disgrace her. Joseph, being righteous and not wanting to disgrace her. Wow, what a good guy. You know, this guy could have said, uh, and there's a few different options that he could have, that he could have had. He could have said, you violated the Old Testament law. You need to be tried and you need to be publicly shamed. You know, he could have said that. He could have disgraced her. He could have done so by the law, basically. Uh, but he was not only a righteous man, he was a merciful man. He was a merciful man and not wanting to disgrace her. Quite interesting. Now, obviously, I mentioned one possibility. He could have a public trial. The other possibility through Deuteronomy 24 would be to send her away privately with a certificate of divorce. And so he did not want to disgrace her. Wow, think about it. He has every right to think, Mary, you've done something wrong here, at least at this point. He has every right to consider that, but he's a gracious, merciful man. He's got he's to deal with this righteously, and so he chooses the way that is merciful. You know, we so often as believers sometimes choose the way that's not merciful. You know, we need to choose the merciful way. We need to be, be, a lot, be like our, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to be careful in how we apply God's word at times that we don't apply it so stringently. I'm not saying twisting it or not applying it rightly, but we apply it wrongly where there isn't compassion and grace. I'm not talking about compromising. There's no compromise with Joseph here. He's got to do the right thing, and he's going to do it. But he does it compassionately. And it says here, desired to put her away secretly. Didn't want to shame her. You know, uh, there's a lot of people get angry in situations like this, and they want to shame their 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 spouses who have hurt them or whatever it might be. Joseph's a righteous man. Joseph's a righteous man, and he's certainly been hurt. Certainly, uh, wondering what is going on here. So he's going to do the right thing. And you know what? Whenever you are brought forth with what should I do? You trust the Lord Jesus. You, in every way you acknowledge him, he's going to make your path straight. He's going to take care. We have a great example that God intervenes at this point. Notice his intervention. Verse 20, but when he had considered this, well, what was that? That was uh, putting her away secretly, right? Uh, behold, take a look. Uh, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. 
and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. So evidently, Joseph, being troubled, pondering what's going on, he dozes off. He's fallen asleep, and he's dreaming here, as we're going to see. But God sent an angel right in the right time. He has a righteous desire to do the right thing, and God is intervening. You step forward, you trust the Lord, God will direct your path. He will intervene. He is gracious. We see that here. And so he says here, when he came, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now, we have in the Old Testament the term the messenger of the Lord, the, and we see that that's the Lord himself. Uh, look at Genesis 22. But an angel of the Lord, that is a messenger. That is not the Lord himself. That is a, it is a messenger. It is an angel. It's an angel sent by the Lord. And so it appeared to him in a, in a dream. Now, we know that God spoke in many ways, in many portions uh, in the past, but now he has spoken through his son, right? We see that in Hebrews chapter 1, that God spoke in many different ways. We see it in dreams. We see it in different things like that. Um, and here, the, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream. Uh, we now know that we have the completed word of God, and he speaks to us through his word. And so then we have this angel uh, here, and so what happens? Verse 20, but when he had considered this, behold, an angel Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. So, again, the Lord didn't let Joseph go long pondering this, uh, pondering the right decision, being a righteous man. And we have this angel, notice the angel, how he addresses Joseph, Joseph, son of David. Son of David, you are the one in the line of David. Uh, and we're going to see that his that Jesus is in the line of David. We see that. And so he says here, um, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And I paraphrase, Mary, Mary, right? <laughs> Mary, Mary. Now, again, I'd find this very encouraging. Right in the nick of time, the Lord intervenes. Um, and he does that through his word with us. He does that by his spirit prompting us, alerting us to his truth. He leads us, he guides us, he'll direct our path. If you are in a situation where you are not sure what to do and you want to do what's right, you have different biblical options to what to do, step forward in faith, do the right thing, the merciful thing, God will direct your path. He will take care of you. I, I find that's a, a real blessing. You don't have to worry about it. Trust the Lord. It's very encouraging. He intervenes right at the right time and gives him more revelation. Gives him more revelation that he might uh, do his will. Again, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 16.9. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. Proverbs 3. God is faithful. And if you are trusting and obeying him, submerged in his word, he's going to direct you. If you've got trouble that's come upon you and you don't know what to do, so often we want to just reach out and do what we need to do. Sometimes in the flesh. But then sometimes we have the biblical options of what to do, and we, we step forward, but we're not sure to trust the Lord. He's going to direct you. He's going to do so. And so the angel says, hey, take Mary as your wife. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And notice he explains why. God gives an explanation, which is glorious for us. Uh, middle of 20. For that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for it is he who will save his people from their sins. 
Awesome. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Marry her. Why? Because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. The child is not of Joseph. It's not of any man. It is of God. It is of God. And so it's interesting here. There's uh, really no explanation on how this works, how this happens. We just have God saying that's how it is. That's how it is. This is the means in which God the Son, eternal God, uh, revealed three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Son took on an additional nature, being fully divine, took on human, a human nature uh, through the incarnation. And there is no male father, uh, that which is conceived is of the Holy Spirit. And go back to Luke again, um, for chapter 1, let's look at verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall name him Jesus. He will be great and called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. Verse 33. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. There you go. And for this reason, the holy offspring will be called the Son of God. For this reason, he's divine. It's God, the Son, uh, fully divine, taking on human flesh. For this reason, he's going to be called God the Son, the Son of God. Because God is taking on human flesh. And we see this in other verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, he was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being. And apart from him, nothing came into being. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Colossians 1.19, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Fullness of deity. Colossians 2.9, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Bodily form. So then we have the means in which God took on human flesh. Uh, and we have him, it is Jesus Christ, the God-man, who is indeed, as we will see, the Savior of the world. And it is absolutely crucial that we understand and believe the virgin conception and thus birth, uh, that it is uh, from God doing it, otherwise it undermines the deity of Jesus Christ. But we see clearly he is fully God, and he took on a human nature and fully man. So then, for that which has been conceived in her is the Holy Spirit, and she will bear, notice the humanity, she will bear a son. God, taken on human flesh. Galatians 4.4, 4, but in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. This is the Christmas story. God, taken on human flesh. Uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 5, and I always love looking at this because we have a conversation between, no, Hebrews 10, excuse me, Hebrews 10, Verse 5, we have a conversation between God the Father and God the Son about the Incarnation. We, we get to listen in. We get to listen into a conversation. It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Hebrews 10, verse 5. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. That's the Son of God taking on human flesh. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifice sin, thou hast taken no pleasure. Then I said, this is the Lord Jesus, this is, this is the Lord, the Son of God. Behold, I have come. In the roll of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. And then look down in verse 10. By this will, that's him taking on human flesh, 
dying for our sins, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Tremendous, wonderful reality. And so back in our passage, we have uh, the statement, hey, don't be afraid to marry Mary as your wife, because that which conceives of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name, it's masculine, a son, his name, Jesus. It's terrible to talk about pronouns these days, right? All the evil that's going on these days. We have here, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. She'll call his name Jesus. Now, what's the significance of the term Jesus, his human name? By the way, that is his human name. It was given to him at birth. Given to him at birth. I mentioned it earlier, but a transliteration of the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua uh, literally means Yahweh is salvation. The term Yahweh is the first person of the verb to be. It means I am. When Moses uh, was in Exodus 3 asking God, who should I tell them your name is? He said, I said, I said, Yahweh, Asher, Yahweh, I am who I am. And so the I am is the Lord. In your Old Testament, you'll see L-O-R-D, large caps, that's the Yahweh. And it is the Lord who saves. God saves. The Lord saves. The Lord saves. Wonderful, wonderful truth. That's what the name Jesus means. The Lord is salvation. You think of the name Jesus, it means the Lord is salvation. What a great name. The Lord is salvation. Amen. But don't miss this. You shall call him Jesus, and there's purpose. You shall call him the Lord of salvation, not just because it's the name you're going to name him, but there's a reason why you'll call him the Lord of salvation. For it is he, back in our passage, who will save, verse 121, his people from their sins. You're going to call your son the Lord of salvation because he's the Lord, and he's the one who will save his people from their sins. That's why. Folks, God is a gracious God. He is unwilling to let mankind stay in their sinful state. He is unwilling to leave them there. You see, the scripture is clear. There are none righteous, not even one, Romans 3. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 6.23. And we see in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4, the Lord says, Behold, all souls are mine. Soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son. The soul that sins will die. Will die. You see, mankind has a problem. You have a problem. I have a problem. We have fallen short of God's glory. We have all sinned. But God is a righteous judge who will judge sinners, but he's also a holy, just, loving God who gave a provision for us having a pardon, having forgiveness, having uh, 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 a, a, a salvation, as we'll see here. He will save his people from their sins. Everybody needs to be delivered from the consequences of sin. The reality is the wages of sin is death. And those who die in their sins will be thrown into the lake of fire, eternal punishment forever. There is God's perfect wrath towards sin. But God gave his only son to die for us. He is the Lord who saves and he will save his people from their sins. You see, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the whole world. He is the only savior of the world. 
Acts chapter 4, verse 10. Let it be known to you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified and God raised from the dead, by this name, man, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. That was the one who was healed. And he says here, he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven which has been given among men by which we must be saved. It is only through Jesus Christ that you are saved from your sins. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. She'll bear a son. You'll name him Jesus. The Lord saves. You'll name him the Lord saves, for it is him who will save, he who will save his people from their sins. And I ask you, have you been saved from your sins? Have you been delivered from the wrath to come? If you have, amen, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We don't realize how important this is. We don't realize how important Christmas is. And we have a wonderful window. Who knows how long this will be in our culture? A wonderful window to share why we have hope, why we celebrate Christmas, because God sent forth his son to die for our sins. He became like us. He lived the perfect life. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. For it is he who will save his people from their sins. So then we've seen Joseph's dilemma, his uh his his wife, that's what you call her because they're betrothed, uh, is, uh, has a child, is pregnant with a child. And we've seen God's intervention as Joseph, a righteous man, sought to do the right thing of the merciful thing. Merciful, remember that, man. Be merciful with your wives. I need to remember, it's convicted to me. Be merciful with your husband. Be merciful. Be like, be like the Lord, right? We see that in the context of, of this. And here, the Lord very graciously sent an angel, obviously, and he shared with Joseph the truth. Be Mary, Mary, because that which is conceived of the Holy Spirit, and uh, he's going to save his people from their sins. Name him Jesus, right? The Lord saves. Tremendous, wonderful message that we better not become bored of or tired of. Satan tempts us. You know, I, when I come to Christmas time, I get tempted. Oh, they've heard that before. I preach that all the time. No, it is so important. It is right that we are reminded. It is right that we hear it. It is so important. And now at this point, we have an explanation back to our passage that prophecy is fulfilled, that God is with us. Uh, chapter 1, verse 22. Now all this took place. All what? Everything we just saw. Everything we just saw about the angel and Mary and, 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 the, and, and the, the declaration of the, of, the, of the salvation that comes through the Lord Jesus himself. That, what, that which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God, translated means God with us. We have the Lord's word spoken through Isaiah. You know, someone says, well, that's what Isaiah wrote. No, that's what the Lord spoke through Isaiah. We have God's inspired word. It says, spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. We have the reality that God spoke through, uh, he inspired by his spirit those to speak his word. Second Peter one twenty one. but know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture, written word, is a matter of one's own interpretation. You don't have a choice to choose what it means. God will reveal what it intends. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Spirit, Holy Spirit spoke from God. 
The reality is we shouldn't sit around and say, what do you think this means? What do you think it means? What do you think it means? Well, no, what, is God, what did God intend by his spirit? It's not up for us to decide an interpretation. It's for us to, to grasp by his spirit what God intended. What God intended. And so then, we have this prophecy spoken through the prophet, by the, spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And here it is. It's a quote of Isaiah 7:14. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And if you turn to Isaiah, middle of your Bibles, chapter 7, I want to read this quote from there, Isaiah 7:14. And it's interesting, the Lord God, inspired by the Spirit, will take things from the Old Testament and he will requote it in the New Testament, but he had been modified and changed because God is God. Doesn't make what's in the Old Testament not correct. That's correct. But he will add to it or illuminate for us and help us see even more in that. And we see the use of the Old Testament in the New Testament. Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall be with, be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. So here we have this quote here. It's certainly a virgin. I mentioned this earlier. The, the unbelieving scholars will say, well, in Hebrew, that could mean a young woman, not a virgin. Well, the reality is that's possibly true, but it was intended to mean virgin here. And it was confirmed in the New Testament with a word which is, cannot be translated any other way but virgin. And so it's speaking of a virgin here. And so then we have all these things took place that that which was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled back in our passage. Behold, the virgin shall be a child and shall bear a son. Prophecy fulfilled over and over and over again in the birth of Christ. Prophecy fulfilled. Uh, we know, and I read this earlier, John 5:39. the Lord said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but they are these that bear witness of me, Right? But you're unwilling to come to me that you might that believe to have eternal life. They bear witness. We know in Luke chapter 24, after Christ had risen from the dead on that third day, he was walking away with those dejected disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart, Luke 24, 25, to believe in all the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and, and all the prophets, with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And later on, they're going to be going, wow, weren't our hearts burning within us when he was explaining this? Verse 44, chapter 24 of Luke. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things written of me in the law of Moses, prophets, and Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he says here, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise from the third day, for the dead on the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. Prophecy fulfilled in the birth, the conception and birth of the Savior. Prophecy fulfilled what God had spoken of, the Lord had spoken of concerning him. Now, it's interesting because there's two parts to this prophecy. Because he says here that, behold, the virgin shall be a child, she'll bear a son. Okay, prophecy fulfilled. That's one, right? Then there's the second half. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Well, wait a second. Back in, in Isaiah 7:14, it was she shall call his name Emmanuel. And she will. I'm sure Mary did. She understood it. And she did. But the spirit, but the writer inspired the spirit has brought forth even more so understanding for us here. It says they. 
Well, who is the they? Is it Mary and Joseph? Uh, who's been, who, those been saved from their sins? Who is it? Well, certainly it's not unbelievers. Unbelievers are not going to say God with us through Jesus Christ. They're not going to say that. They're not going to say because of the birth of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, God is with us. Not at all. They're not going to say that because they are separate from Christ. They have no hope and they are without God in the world. No matter what you think, if you're still in your sins, you are separate from Christ. Uh, your sin has caused a separation between you and God. The wages of sin is death. And if you continue, you will be eternally punished in the lake of fire. Death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. So what does it mean? They shall call his name Emmanuel. It's translated God with us. How was this fulfilled in the birth of Christ? How was this second part of this prophecy fulfilled in the birth of Christ? Well, I think, first of all, it's speaking of the results of the incarnation. The results. You see, which is Jesus saved this people from their sins. You see? And he is now with those who have been saved. He is now with those who have been saved. I believe this truth is affirmed at the end of Matthew, where the Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, verse uh, 2020. We know in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 5 says, Let your character be free of the love of money. Be content with what you have. You could stop there and go, hmm, well, I've got uh, a little bit of money in the bank. and I'm okay. I think we'll be fine. i got a job. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying here, uh, For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I forsake you. Be content with what you have. You've got the Lord who will never leave you. Be content with what you have. So then I believe that they are those who have been saved by the Savior Jesus Christ, which includes Mary, which includes Joseph, which includes you and I, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We now recognize that God is with us. God is with us. Tremendous talked about those who are depressed during holidays, whatever it might be, so many suicides even too. You know, uh, it's lonely. It's a lonely world at times. Um, you could be in the big city and have people all around you and be really lonely. But the reality is, apart from the forgiveness of sins, God is not with you. But if you trust in Jesus Christ, you believe in him, he is with you. And for us believers, as we get tempted to feel alone, the reality is it's not true. It's not true. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is with us. He is with us. Don't forget that whenever you go through anything, that the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. So then, to finish up our passage, take a look. Notice that Joseph obeys the angel's command, God's command to the angel. Verse 24, back in chapter 1 of uh, Matthew, And Joseph arose from his sleep. Hey, that was a good dream, right? <laughs> um, and it was, uh, but ultimately, yes, it was through a dream, but the angel did speak to him. Did, right? And did as the angel of the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife. Good man, Joseph. You're a good guy, Joseph. Righteous man. And kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he, this is Joseph, called his name Jesus. Hey, he obeyed the command of the Lord through the angel, didn't he? 
Joseph in the midst of a great trial, betrothed to Mary. She's pregnant. He's righteous. He's merciful, wants to do the right thing, considers divorcing her quietly, dozes off. The Lord sends an angel and tells him what to do and why. And so what does he do when he wakes up? Does he say, I need to talk to a rabbi. I need to talk to a pastor. I need help with the situation. I need to call to get some counseling about what I should do. No, he obeys the Lord. And nine times out of ten, when we are saying, I need this, this to talk to somebody, whatever, and that's okay to talk to their beliefs. That's, that's fine. Nine times out of ten, the word is really clear what we need to do. And when we obey that and step out in faith, God comes alongside He and helps us in those situations. And Joseph rose from sleep and did as the angel Lord commanded him, took her as his wife and had kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Lastly here, I'm so amazed that we, we see the obedience of God's people in Scripture with very little revelation. We have the completed revelation. We have the Spirit of God in us from the end of the ages have come. God's still compassionate. He's helping us. He's sanctifying us. But Joseph, uh, he obeyed the clear commands. He didn't have to figure out this virgin birth thing. He just obeyed. He just obeyed. He obeyed the clear commands. He did what God called him to do. He married her, and he kept her virgin, and he called his name Jesus. The Lord is salvation. So why was he to marry her? Because God was taking on human flesh to save his people from their sins. That which was conceived of her was of the Holy Spirit. That's the Christmas story. Behold, the virgin shall be a child. She shall bear a son. They shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Is God with you? I guarantee he's not if you are still in your sins. You are separated from God. But God is so good that he did all the work. God the Father sent his son Jesus, and he willingly came. He became like us, yet without sin. He lived the perfect life. He died for our sins and rose from the dead. And he calls upon you to acknowledge your sin and believe in him, to call upon the name of the Lord. And you will be saved. And God will be with you forever, forever and ever. And then for those of us in whom God is with us, we are tempted to forget that when we run into difficulty. We're tempted to forget that if the Lord is for us, who could be against us? We're tempted to forget he's a good God who gave his son for us. He's a good God. Don't forget that. And pray for opportunities this Christmas season to share the good news of why God took on human flesh, of why to save his people from their sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this tremendous good news. Lord, thank you so much. I pray for anyone who has heard this or will hear this, that no one would leave apart from being right with you through faith in your son, Jesus Christ. They would believe in your son, Jesus, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord Jesus, save me from my sins would be their prayer, Lord God. And for those of us who have prayed this, who have trusted in your son, Jesus, may we not forget why we celebrate this time so that uh, you would be greatly magnified and that you might open doors to share the good news of your son, Jesus. So we thank you for your son, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.